Charlie, you're messing up the folds. Am not. Just that mine look better. All right, you two. We don't need to start a dinner table war. We're all on the same team. Yes, ma'am. He started it. Anything from Tom today? Let's see here. Why, as a matter of fact, yes. Here it is. Looks like the post date is November 7th, a little over a month ago. Dad, can we read it now? Yeah, Dad, open it. Yes, of course, honey. Dinner can wait. Kids, let's have a seat. Surprised with how creative soldiers can get with makeshift entertainment. We've had our share of challenges, but I want you all to know that I'm doing well. Please do not worry. There are tough situations, but I'm staying optimistic and leaning on the Lord. Hope has become my consistent companion in the darkest hours, and I have learned that even in the most unexpected places, I can find it. Wait, what do you mean by a hope? Well, son, hope feeds off of faith. Remember your memory verse from Sunday school a few weeks ago about faith? Oh, yeah. How does it start again? That's easy. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Well done, kids. That's right. And your brother is relying on God's promises by faith, which gives him hope. Well said, honey. What else does Tom say? There was a time here when we were running low on supplies and things looked grim. But just in time, the convoy arrived with everything we needed. It was like a miracle. I believe God was in that. In that moment, I realized that hope just isn't wishful thinking. It is an anchor for the soul. I've had our opportunities to share hope of Jesus to my unit, and I believe that God is showing us that even at war, when everything around us seems hopeless, God can put hope into the heart of a man. That's incredible. Yeah, Tom's really something. I'm so proud of Tom. Oh, I wish you were here. Me too, honey. Let's see what else he has to say. I wish I could be there for Charlie's birthday and Christmas. That's mean. Right, son. I pray that you will also sense the hope of Jesus as I have this Christmas season. I miss you all terribly, but know that I love you, and I'm hopeful we'll be together again soon. Tom. We'll be counting the days until he's home. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, let me encourage you to hold them up and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth of what we believe and how we live. Now turn with me in your copy of God's Word this morning to Hosea chapter 2. We're going to hone in on verse 15. Now Hosea isn't a book that you may turn to very often, but there's an incredible story in this book. And in chapter 2 verse 15, that verse, even though you may not recognize this verse, really has something to teach us about hope. Now in case you don't know, the book of Hosea contains one of the most heart-wrenching stories in the entire Word of God. 
because Hosea had to live out, he had to flesh out the story before he could proclaim the story. In the book of Hosea, God tells Hosea to, to marry this unfaithful, promiscuous woman so that God could illustrate his faithful love to his people. And Gomer, Hosea's wife, her unfaithfulness to Hosea gave God an opportunity to show his faithfulness of love to his people. I want you to listen to what God says in Hosea chapter 2, verse 2. It says, but now bring charges against Israel, your mother, for she is no longer my wife, and I am no longer her husband. Tell her to remove the prostitute's makeup from her faith and the clothing that exposes her breast. God is making this amazing claim against Israel. He is saying that Israel is acting like a prostitute going after other lovers, other gods. And then it says in verse 8, she doesn't realize it was I who gave her everything she has, but she gave all my gifts to Baal. Now, can you imagine that? Can you imagine going out and, and buying your spouse, the person you love, these incredibly expensive gifts, only to have them turn around and give those incredibly expensive gifts that you gave them to their lover? Well, that's what the nation of Israel was doing. They were taking the blessings that God gave them and they were giving them to these false gods, to, to God of Baal. And then it says this, she put on her earrings and jewels and went out to look for lovers but forgot all about me. In, in other words, what that is saying is that, that God is watching as Israel gets all dressed up and, and makes herself pretty. And then instead of coming to her, her faithful lover, she goes out and she pursues other lovers. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine seeing the one you love getting all dressed up, ready to go somewhere, but then instead of presenting themselves to you, they go out and, and chase after other lovers. And that's what Israel was doing. And yet, in spite of their unfaithfulness and in spite of our unfaithfulness, God shows his love for us and his love for them time after time. God gives a promise in verse 14. He says, I will win her back once again. I will speak tenderly to her. Now, that's amazing to me because Israel had been like a prostitute. She had pursued other lovers, and, and God had every right to turn his back on them, but he didn't. He said, I'm going to continue to pursue her. Instead of speaking angrily to her, I'm going to speak tenderly to her. And then listen to what he says in verse 15, if your Bibles are open. It says, I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. I will transform the, the valley of trouble, literally the valley of acre, into a gateway of hope, a door of hope. Now you probably don't know, but the valley of acre was the place where the nation of Israel stoned to death Achan and his entire family. Now to understand how this valley got its name, you have to go back and read the story in the book of Joshua. Do you remember that story? 
the people were going into the promised land. And, and the very first city they came to was the city of Jericho with these walled these walls that were so tall and so, so great that, that the, the city seemed unconquerable. But God told the people to march around the city and march around it for seven days. And on the final day, march around the city seven times. And, and when they did, they blew the trumpets and, and the walls of that city just collapsed. And the people went in and conquered the city. And God told the people that the spoils of war, all of the things that they got from the people of Jericho... They were to give back to God. And so most of the people did. But Achan didn't. Achan kept some of the things, the, the most expensive things, the most beautiful things for himself. And so the next time when Israel went to war against this much smaller city called Ai, they were humiliated, they were defeated. And Joshua fell on his face before God. He was wondering why they were defeated by this smaller enemy. And God said, I'm going to tell you. You need to get all the people into the valley of Achor. And when they did, God said, I'm going to separate the person who has brought this trouble on Israel. And through this series of eliminations, God singled out Achan and his family. And when Achan was singled out, Achan admitted that he had stolen from God. He had taken the things that were to be devoted, that were to be given back to God for sacrifice, and he had kept them for himself. And because of that, God said that the entire nation was to stone Achan and his family, and they did it right there in that valley. And from that time on, it was called the Valley of Achan or the Valley of Severe Trouble. And so what God is saying through the prophet Hosea here is I am going to take you at your darkest, most troubling hour, a place that, that seems hopeless, a time that seems hopeless, and I'm going to help you experience lasting hope. So what God is saying is I'm going to take this hopeless situation filled with trouble, and in the midst of it, I'm going to get you a hope that will last forever. You know, I love to travel. And throughout my years, I've had the opportunity to visit a number of different states. And there are some states that I like better than others, but there's only one state that I never want to live in, and that's the state of hopelessness. Because there is no place worse than the state of hopelessness. You see, when you are hopeless, it means that you are without hope. And when you are without hope, you've lost any reason for living. When we find ourselves in a, in a state of hopelessness, we're not only experiencing depression and, and despair, we don't even care anymore that we're in that state. Job knew what it was to experience hopelessness. You remember Job? Job was a righteous man. He was the best man on the planet during his lifetime. And, and yet God allowed Satan to take everything from Job. And during this time, Job experienced hopelessness. It says in Job chapter 7 verse 6, My life drags by day after hopeless day. Now you may say Job had every reason to feel hopeless. He had lost everything but a nagging wife. 
everything else, all of his possessions, all of his children were taken from him. And he was in this, this state of hopelessness. But not only was Job known for experiencing hopelessness, so was Solomon. Now Solomon is, is much different than Job. Solomon had everything. I mean, the Bible says that he's the wisest man to ever live. He was, he's the most wealthy man to ever live. And, and listen to what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. It says, it seems so tragic that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. They choose their own mad course for they have no hope. Now, Job's hopelessness we can understand. Job lost everything. But Solomon... Solomon had everything, and yet in the midst of having everything this world can offer, Solomon said, I have no hope. Even David. David was a, a man that sought after God's very heart. He was the most righteous man living at his time. He loved the Lord passionately. But I want you to listen to what David said in Psalm 143 verse 4. He said, I am losing all hope. I am paralyzed with fear. So here's a man who lost everything who had no hope. Here's a man who had everything who had no hope. And here is a man who sought God with all of his heart. And yet even he was experiencing this hopelessness. Now there are many things that can lead us to this state of hopelessness. It could be our finances. It could be a relationship or a lack of a relationship. It could be a health problem that we're experiencing or a health problem that someone that we love is experiencing. <coughs> it could be the death of someone we love. But, but there are many paths that lead us to hopelessness. But the reality is behind every type of hopelessness, there is the underlying reality of sin. You see, you need to understand that sin is both the spark that started and it's the fuel that keeps the fires of hopelessness and despair burning. You see, this world is not the way God intended for it to be. You don't have to be a theologian to understand that. This world where we experience hopelessness is not the way God wanted us to exist. A world filled with pain and poverty and suffering. A world that is, that is ruled by fear, that is overrun by sin. That's not the way God created this world. That's not the way God wanted us to live. These aren't the things that God wants man to experience. And yet, here we are in this world that is filled with all of these things that bring hopelessness to us. And we... We wonder why and how. How did we come to this place? And the reason we did is because man rejected God. Man tried to find hope in something other than God. And when man did that, everything changed. But it not only changed for that first man and that first woman, it's changed for each and every one of us. And the reality is, though there are many paths that can lead us to the state of hopelessness, there is only one way out of the state of hopelessness. And that one way out is Jesus. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 18 through 21, Matthew is quoting a prophecy about the Messiah, about Jesus, from Isaiah 42. And in the last verse, 
It says this in Matthew 12, 21. It says, and his name will be the hope of all the world. Now, the Bible gives us a number of different names for Jesus. He's called the Lamb of God. He's called the Word of God. He's called the Bread of Life. But here, he is called the hope of the world. Now, here's what I've discovered. We try a lot of different things to try to find hope. But the only thing that can truly bring hope is not a thing, it's a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. When we try to find hope in the things of this world, our hope will only be as good as the things that we put our hope in. Here's what I know. Doctors, no matter how good they are, mess up. My brother-in-law, my, my wife's sister's husband, had what was supposed to be routine bicep repair this past Tuesday. He was supposed to go in in the morning. He was going to have the surgery. He was going to come out late morning or early afternoon and go home. But when the doctor was in there operating, the doctor cut an artery. And when he cut the artery, they had to get the bleeding stopped immediately, but then they had to fly him by helicopter to a much larger hospital, which a, a much more devoted, dedicated staff to these kind of things, who thankfully was able to repair the artery and restore his arm. Because when he cut it, they said, you're probably going to use, lose use of that arm. Doctors mess up. Our investments go south. No matter how good we think our investment counselor may be, our investments can go south. And our political parties, we can't put our hope in them. Because no matter which party they are, our political parties can let us down. But Jesus, Jesus will never disappoint. Jesus will never let us down. Lewis Meads shares a story about a young man who was struggling with cancer. And he was going to this medical clinic for, for cancer treatment. And on this particular week when he went in, there was a new doctor that was going to be administering the treatment. He was a relatively young doctor. And he casually and somewhat cruelly told this young man, you know, don't you, that you're not going to last out the year. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not very good bedside manners in, in my opinion. And so when this young man left that doctor, he went to the desk of the director of this medical clinic and just bawling, sobbing with tears in his eyes, <coughs> the young man said, that doctor took away all my hope. And this director compassionately, but yet passionately looked him in the eye and said, son, then you probably need to find something else to put your hope in. You see, when we put our hope in things that can disappoint, sooner or later they will disappoint. But Jesus, Jesus will never disappoint you. And the Apostle Paul made it clear that without Jesus, we're without hope. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul said this, In those days you were living apart from Christ. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Paul said, without Christ, without God, we have no hope. But with Christ, with God, we have hope. 
listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He said, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want you to notice something. Our hope begins with God's mercy. Someone once said grace is when God gives us something we don't deserve, like heaven. We don't deserve heaven, but God gives it to us. But mercy is when God doesn't give us something that we do deserve. We deserve his judgment because of our sin and rebellion. We deserve hell because of our sin and rebellion, but God holds that judgment back. The Apostle Paul said in Romans, the wages of sin... What we deserve for our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Now notice what he says. He says, because of God's mercy, we experience a new birth. Now Jesus tells us in John 3 that the new birth is an act of the Holy Spirit working in us. And the death and resurrection of Jesus is what fuels that new birth. And when we trust Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross to save us, the Holy Spirit works in our life and gives us a new birth. We're made new. We're given a fresh start. We're given a new beginning. And then he says this, that new beginning, that new birth is into a living hope. That literally means it's a lasting hope. It's a hope that will last forever. It's a hope that will overcome the whatevers of this life. You see, Jesus came to this earth. He lived a life you could never live. He died a death he did not deserve. Then he defeated sin and death by being resurrected from the grave, all so that you and I could have hope, both in this life and beyond this life. And listen, Jesus isn't just your hope. He's not just my hope. He's not just the American hope. Jesus is the hope of all the world. That's why it's so important for each and every one of us who have experienced this hope to share the hope with everyone else. You see, the Bible teaches without Jesus, there is no hope, period. No one can have hope apart from Jesus. And the Bible tells us that those of us who experience that hope, it's our job to share that hope with others. Our family, our friends, our, our neighbors, our co-workers, our, our, the strangers we pass on the street, the people that check us out in the grocery store. And even those on the other side of the planet who have little or no access to the gospel that brings us hope. We're to share that hope with the world because Jesus is not just our hope. He's the hope of all the world. And so let me ask you a question. I want you to take a moment and think. Who was the last person that you talked to about the hope that Jesus brings face to face? Now, if you're a life group teacher, if you facilitate a life group, I'm not talking about to your life group. I'm not talking about preachers who stand before a crowd and talk about the hope that we have in Christ. I'm talking about face-to-face, one-on-one. When is the last time you stood with someone or sat with someone and told them about the hope that you have 
because of Jesus. You see, this is why we're here. This is why Jesus leaves us on planet earth after he saves us. He leaves us here so that we can share the hope that we've experienced with other people that we come in contact with. If Jesus is the hope of the world, and he is, then it's our job to share him with all the world. And so let me ask you, are you? Oh, dear friends, your family that doesn't know Jesus, they may think they do, but they have no hope. Your neighbors that you occasionally get together with that don't know Jesus, they may live in nice homes and drive nice cars, but without Jesus, they have no hope. Your friends, your co-workers, those you go to school with, without Jesus, they have no hope. And it's our responsibility to share that hope with them. Now, understand, the hope I'm talking about isn't found in this world. Our hope isn't fully realized in this life. I love what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, and if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. The Apostle Paul said, if, if it's this world that brings us hope, then those of us who follow Jesus, we need to be pitied. Because the Bible says this world hates us because it hated Jesus. You see, there are some that have this idea that we, we give our heart and our life to Jesus. We begin to follow Jesus because if we do, he's going to make our checkbook look a lot better. He's going to give us a better job, one we enjoy a lot more than the job we have right now. He's going to restore our health or protect us from bad health. And yet the Bible never says those things. I want you to hear me. God can do any of that. God can put your checkbook in a better place. God can give you a better job. God can make you healthier here on this earth. I mean, he's almighty God. He can do whatever he wants to do. And yet the Bible makes it clear that in this world we will have trouble. Even the apostle Paul, he was an apostle given this supernatural power by God. Later on in life, he had some kind of problem with his eyes that he asked God to cure him, to heal him of time after time, and God didn't do it. God said, I will be made strong in your weakness. The apostle Paul told Timothy, his son in the ministry, he said, you need to take a little wine for your stomach's sake. See, wine was used for medicinal purposes back in Jesus' day because it, it cleaned out the bacteria in the water. We need to understand that even in the Bible, we read of people getting sick and, and dying. We read of people that lost everything because they loved Jesus. Understand, our hope isn't found in this world. Our hope is going to be realized when we meet Jesus. I want you to listen to what Paul said to his son in the ministry, Titus. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13, he said, We look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. The Apostle Paul said 
said in another place, now we see through a glass dimly, darkly. But one day we will see him face to face. You see, what we know about Jesus and what we experience of Jesus right now, it's, it's, only, a, it's only a taste, a piece of what it's going to be like. And so as believers, we're not banking on this world to give us what we're looking for. We're looking forward to the coming of Jesus when our hope will be made true and everything that we put our hope in will be experienced in full. Listen to what Paul said to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He said, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you'll not grieve like people who have no hope. Now let me stop there for just a minute. Grief is a part of losing people we love. Would you agree? Believers grieve. If, if someone tells you that you shouldn't grieve as a believer, they don't have a clue. They've obviously not lost anyone that they really love. When we love someone and they die, regardless of whether we know they're in heaven or not, we're going to grieve. We're going to have sorrow. But what Paul says is, I don't want you to grieve like those who have no hope. You see, as believers, we have hope that death is not the end. Can you imagine not believing in God? Can you imagine not knowing that your sins have been forgiven and you're going to be with Jesus and facing death? Can you imagine? Can you imagine not believing in Jesus and, and, and coming to the funeral service of your spouse or a child and you have no hope that you're ever going to see them again? You have no hope that they have anything better to look forward to, that, that their existence is now and over. I can't imagine that. And the Apostle Paul was saying, I don't want you to grieve like those who have no hope. And then listen to what he says. For, for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First the Christians who have died will rise from the grave. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be called up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. What's that word? Forever. There is coming a day when we're going to see Jesus face to face. And when we do, those of us who know him will be with him forever. And then Paul says, so encourage each other with these words. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but it encourages me to know that those that I love who have died before me, who love Jesus, I'm going to see them again. And to know that they're more alive now than they've ever been. My father died three years ago, and my mother's here with me for three weeks. And, and my mother, my wife, and I went up to the mountains for a few days this past week. And on the way back home, I asked mom, I said, Mom, what do you think dad is doing right now? And she said a few things, and I said, you know, 
I doubt he's even left the feet of Jesus yet. I mean, when, when his eyes closed here on this earth, and he saw Jesus face to face, I, I, don't, I don't think he's even left Jesus. He, he's just been in a state of worship for years. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, we don't even know all the things that God has prepared for those that love him. We have hope. And I want you to hear me. When we truly experience this hope, we'll be changed. The hope that Jesus brings changes our life. I want you to listen to what John said in 1 John 3. He said, dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And let me stop there for just a minute. What John is saying is, we don't know all that, that the beyond holds for us. We're not sure what our heavenly bodies are going to be like. We don't know all of that. We can speculate. But what we do know is we're going to be like Jesus. And then he says this. He says, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. What John is saying is this, if I have the hope that one day I'm going to be with Jesus, the sinless son of God, that hope of being with Jesus causes me to seek to live a pure life down here on this earth. You see, I've been changed from the inside out. That doesn't mean that I don't struggle with sinful choices. That doesn't mean that, that I don't sometimes say things I shouldn't say that I later regret. We all still struggle with sin. But understand, when we come to know Jesus, he changes us from the inside out. And our desire in our heart is to live a pure, holy life. Because Jesus is pure. Jesus is holy. And so I want to ask you, have you been changed? I'm not asking you, have you prayed a prayer? I'm not asking you, have you been dunked in water, though that's important. I'm asking you, have you been changed? Has there been a moment in your life where you asked Jesus to forgive your sins. You had a desire to turn from those sins and you trusted Jesus to save you. And you can't explain it. You don't even understand it. But somehow, some way, in that moment, your desires changed. You, begun, you began to want to live for Jesus. He changed you from the inside out. Have you been changed? so important if you're here this morning and you haven't been changed there's nothing more important because I'm here to tell you if you haven't been changed you have no hope but you can have hope because Jesus loves you and his desire is to save you no matter who you are no matter what you've done God created you so that he could have an eternal relationship with you 
You may have a checkered past. You may have done some God-awful things. God still loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. And if you'll ask him, he'll forgive you. He'll change your life. I want you to bow your head with me. I want you to close your eyes for just a moment. I don't want anyone looking around. But with your head bowed, with your eyes closed, I want to ask you a question. Have you been changed? Do you know that you know that you know that there was a point in your life where you trusted Jesus and he changed you from the inside out? Have you been changed? If you're here and you can say, Rocky, I know Jesus changed me. I want you to just lift your hand quickly and hold it up for just a moment so I can rejoice with you. If you know that Jesus has changed, you just lift your hand. Praise God. Keep your hands raised for just a minute. Praise God. Hands up all over the room here. Put your hands down. I rejoice with every one of you who raised your hand. But the reality is there are some in this room who didn't raise your hand. And you may not have raised your hand because you didn't understand the question. You may not have raised your hand because you thought you'd be a little too Pentecostal. But maybe you didn't raise your hand because you're just not sure Jesus has changed you. And if that's you, and you're not sure Jesus has changed you, I want you to know he wants you to know for sure. And so if you want to know for sure, you want him to change you from the inside out, then I want you to pray this prayer to him right now. And it's not saying these exact words but it's meaning what you pray with all your heart just say these words to God dear God I humbly come to you today admitting I'm a sinner I've lived life my way I've tried to live like I was God but I don't answer to anybody but I know I answer to you God tired of living that way I want you to forgive me I don't want to be controlled by sin anymore I know Jesus came to this earth I know he died on that cross for my sin I know he rose from the grave defeating sin for me Jesus saved me Fill me with your spirit. Give me that new birth. I desperately want to live for you, Jesus. Thank you for hearing my prayer. And on the promise in your word, thank you for saving me. 